Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So England held their nerve and beat New Zealand by 20 runs in what was a must-win, or win-or-go-home match, meaning victory against Sri Lanka on Saturday will all but secure their place in the T20 World Cup. It is likely to be decided on net run rate, um, but England's is a lot healthier than Australia's at the moment. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll look back at the game at the Gabba. We'll hear from England captain Joss Butler, who was talking to Sky Television's uh, Michael Atherton. As well as that, we'll discuss the biggest stories from the T20 World Cup so far as the Netherlands push for more countries to tour there as they travel uh, to England or perhaps as they leave England. Jason Roy also returns to the England ODI squad for their tour of Australia um, after the T20 World Cup. And we'll end by discussing some of the other big stories in English cricket. Scotland also pushing for a place in the T20 Blast. And it looks like Sir Andrew Strauss's high performance review is pushed back by a number of counties. Plenty to come over the next hour, then you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. Breathless stuff at the Gabba. England had to beat New Zealand. I think New Zealand have been one of the form teams of the tournament. And boy, oh boy, Harmy, did they pitch up? They did. They pitched up. I thought they were excellent. I thought they really were from. The minute Joss won the toss, I thought England were were very, very good. They're a bit scratchy against the new ball. Um, I don't think the pitch is as easy as what England's score looked. I thought Alex Hills took the pressure off Joss very, very well. And then as and when Butler goes through the gears, again, he was he's played a, obviously a match when it ends. I thought England bowled very well. I thought Baron Mo and Ali's top catch, which I think even I would have caught that now. Sorry, Mo, but yeah, you've got to you've got to call these things out when you see them. Um, I thought England bowled fantastic. The one you know, bright spot for me was the death pole and something I've questioned 
throughout this tournament that if England player, the batsmen that the player and the amount of batsmen that the player, that one death bowler short, I think that I was always believing that might come back to haunt them. But Sam Curran bowled beautifully, and I thought the two overs between Wokes and Wood, I think it was at 16 and 17, were the real game changers. Woody got Nisham out, then Wokes bowled at a fantastic over which give them some breathing space at the end. But all in all, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fantastic game of cricket. I really did. I really enjoyed watching that game. More supporters in the Gabba for an England-New Zealand game than there was for the Australia game last night, which tells you a lot what's going on over in Australia. But it was a fantastic advert for the T20 World Cup, which just took some knocking because of the, the schedule and the rain that's been around. But it was a good game of cricket. I love the way that we look at uh, bowler's figures at the end of the match and you say, oh, that wasn't such a good game because he bowled four overs and went for 45. Um, but with the focus really should be on individual overs, even balls, because mm. as you said, um, the win predictor was 51-49 in England's favour with five overs to go, six overs to go, five overs to go. It was anybody's game. It was almost literally 50-50. And then Wokes and Wood, as you said, you know, it was those six balls that mm. mattered. And when... When the, the really important six balls came along, they rose to the occasion again. They did, and that's the that's the beauty about about this. But I think as much as you talk about individual overs and in you know and individual balls, I think a big pat on the back, and I I've, I forgot to mention it just a second ago. I thought Josh Butler's captaincy was fantastic tonight. I thought his bowling changes were were brilliant. I think it helped having that first over from Mo and Ali. Got it out the way early, good over. Could have had a, a stumping of, of Devin Conway that really set the tone. Um, but I thought his change-ups between his slower bowlers and then his, his seam bowlers and chucking in, obviously, a little bit, you know, Sam Curran's left-arm angle. I thought Josh Butler's really had a good, a good day. He won the toss. Took him a little bit to get going, but then when he went through the gears, he exploded very, very nicely. And I thought his captaincy was absolutely first-class. I thought he was a brilliant... A display of captaincy from behind the stumps, and you know, fair play, good on you, Josh, for doing, you know, for 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 holding your nerve right at the very end. Because you, as you say, manners, five overs to go, everything's going through your mind. Your captain, you're worrying about bowling changes, field positions, angles, and everything on a big ground, and you held your nerve, and you deserve to take man of the match. Because I think he got, for me, he got man of the match as much for his batting, but as well for his captaincy as well. So um, it seemed to me because I wasn't reading conditions particularly well off the television, I didn't realise that it was quite as grippy and, and as stoppy the pitch as, mm. it, as it was. Um, so I just thought, this is Josh Butler, content to tick over in third gear. I don't even think he got to fourth gear in his first mm. sort of 10 overs that he was there, maybe eight overs. But um, And I just thought, this is him knowing that England's World Cup campaign is on the line. He's got to deliver a captain's innings. So I thought he was playing within himself. But only afterwards did I realise <laughs> that he was actually reading the conditions. Um, mm. and, and he was, because he, he read conditions, didn't he? And he just thought early on, it's not a 200 pitch. I think he's gone, it's a 175 pitch. So, you know, I think, I think there might have been four runs over, over target. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think you're right. I think he's he's thinking, if we can get to around about 150, I'm still there. When did he get out? He got out 160. I was thinking, if he, he he must have been thinking, of, I'm still there, around about 150. Then we go again, or we could get somewhere close to a you know, just above par. But on that surface, 170, I think average score 167. Um, 170 was probably par. 
with the, the New Zealand power that they had in their, their disposal. But I, I got asked on breakfast this morning, Ali McCoy said, what would you do if you won the toss? And I said, you know what? England love chasing, but I think the position that this team's in at the moment and the confidence that's not quite there in the stop-start manner of the tournament, I think Josh Butler will win the toss bat first, try and see the game in front of them, get the score on the board and try and defend a total because I don't think England are as confident as what the, the sort of have been in previous tournaments. So from that point of view, that's going to give them a huge amount of confidence going into Saturday, which is another must-win game. And I just think England thought in this situation, get the runs on the board, play scoreboard pressure and hold our nerve at the end. And I thought they did it absolutely brilliantly. Let's hear from Joss Butler then. He was speaking to Michael Atherton, Sky Sports Cricket. We've actually had success batting yeah. first in, in quite a few games here in uh, the games against Australia. Before this, we, we batted first in every game. Um, so it's certainly, you know, I think maybe something that you can actually be brave and, and take that option on. It's a very positive option to, to go in with the bat. You know always you're going to need to take wickets in the second half with teams batting deep and, and good players. and. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I thought it was definitely the right option today. I, I saw you just wiping the floor as you came over, actually, just to check the dew. It was a fair, con fair conditions in the second half of the game. Not too bad for the spinners. No, yeah, I thought it, it is a little bit damp, but uh, I think what you maybe expect, um, as we said, a couple of games on the surface. Um, you were know, watching Moeen Ali's first over, you know, made you quite excited to have the runs on the board. That's a delighted uh, Josh Butler um, after the 21-20 run victory over New Zealand. Let's just recap then. Um, so at the moment, New Zealand and England are ahead of Australia on net run rate. So the final round of matches sees New Zealand play Ireland, Australia play Afghanistan. Let's not try and factor in washouts. We have to assume that New Zealand and Australia will both win. England then play their final game against Sri Lanka on Saturday. So if Australia absolutely thrash Afghanistan. New Zealand can't be caught on net run rate, you know, unless a team doesn't turn up, like literally the bus breaks <laughs> down on the way to the ground. Um, so if Australia absolutely thrash Afghanistan, England still will have their fate in their own hands. If Australia somehow managed to get their net run rate ahead of England's, it'll be a situation where England will know how many runs they need to win by or how many overs they need to chase runs in. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty about the way, what England's position they've, they've found themselves in. Again, 20 runs winning today just pushed Australia just a little bit more of an arm's distance. Australia have now got to go and batter Afghanistan. They've really got to go and do a number on them. For me, they've got to win by more than 60, 50, 60 runs to stand any chance of putting England under, under pressure. Um, and, but you've got to factor in that all three teams will win. England have got the hardest game. Mentioned there's been, it's a rain fuel tournament. I think that's in England's favour. It could be in Afghan, uh, Australia and New Zealand's favour as well, is that if it rains on Friday both and it rains heavily, like it has done in Adelaide today, there wouldn't have been any game in Adelaide today. That means the Australia game and New Zealand game both be washed out and get a point. And then if New Zealand, if England beat Sri Lanka, England go top of the group. So there's so many permutations that can go in that. On the other hand, it could work rain in Sydney on Saturday and the other two will go through. So on competition games alone, I think all three teams are fancied to win their games, England, New Zealand and Australia. And all England have got to do is get somewhere close to matching the Australia-Afghanistan results. So if Australia win by 30 runs, England have got to win by 15, 20 runs and England will comfortably be through to the semi-final. Saying that, 
there's a matter of Sri Lanka in the way. In Sri Lanka, I tell you what, they're aside. They're aside. They're, this, they're still in this competition. They'll still believe that if it rains all day Friday in Adelaide, we beat England if we qualify. So, and I'm sure Chris Silverwood will be desperate to do that when it comes to the England situation. So there's a huge amount riding over the course of that 24, 48 hours on Friday and Saturday. But England have done their chances no harm whatsoever when it comes to winning by 20 runs today. Very quick question about repairmen, Harmy. Not talking about the washing machine or the TV. <laughs> um, teams, some teams have repairmen. And da David Milan is England's repairman. And so when the innings isn't broken, when you have an opening partnership of 60 or 70, then uh, then you send in all the hitters and the repairman isn't required. And he comes in at number eight. I mean, it's an unglamorous role, isn't it? But I guess you'd take it if it means you get a place in the team. Steve Smith's supposed to be Australia's repairman. They've decided they don't need him. Yeah, they've decided they don't need him. I, I thought England would go. I still think England's best way would be go with the Australian way and go without their repairman. Because I still think the bowling at the death, to have a Jordan in this side from a fielding point of view and a, and a death bowling point of view option as the tournament goes on against better sides might be more beneficial than having a repairman who you're probably not going to use. Saying that, David Milan will go, shut up, Armisen, you know nothing. I've just had a strike rate of 300 today, but it was three off one ball. So, look, it, it is. He's it, it's, it's such a... a an interesting and ridiculous conundrum that England have got that they've got somebody who has in, been in the top five ranked batsman in the world for the last four years in T20 cricket. And he, he can't get a bat because the team have got so many options. And I'm saying bringing a bowler in for, for Milan, but England have bowled with seven bowlers today. So I'll work that one out, Josh Butler, if you can. So look, it's an embarrassment of riches. Milan is a, is a quality player. And if England lose a wicket in the first... 10 balls, then who do you want to walk, walk out at number three? You probably want David Milan, don't you? Indeed, you do. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's 20-run win over New Zealand in the uh, T20 World Cup. We, we didn't uh, mention New Zealand very much, uh, Harmy. Um, and again, because I am such a fan of Kane Williamson, um, I find it easier and, I, and i'm and i'm also not a kiwi i find it easy to say that he has not he's a long way from his best for the last 18 months and i mean again i you know i it, it sounds wrong to criticize the great man but but he did england a favor scoring 40 off 40 he did um and but if you look at it on the other side joss was somewhere close to 30 off 28 he was going exactly the same and it's a difference between winning and losing the game. You One goes on and gets 73 or 47, and the other one gets 40 or 40. Uh, I would go the other way and say how well England bowled, to be honest. As much as Kane has dug himself into the hole, I thought, you know what, Phillips is going to get him out of a hole here. He could have gotten that 20 run being the, the difference if England hadn't, again, you know, had, hadn't squeezed Kane Williamson as much as they did. Um, and it took... Uh, an unlikely source from to get Williamson out. Slower ball by Ben Stokes, just sat up and, and Keynes managed to get it to, to short third man. But in them situations, when you get to 40 or 40, got to, say, got to see side home. One of the best players that's ever played the game, in my eyes, Keane Williamson, in all formats of the game. Even in 2020, he's had a stellar career. 
But he'll be sitting there thinking, kicking himself, going, I should have been the one that won the game. I should have gotten 70 off of 50 balls and we would have won the game and knocked, probably knocked England out. So, yes, I'm sure Williamson will be disappointed. Um, I thought his team performed tonight. And if anything, the only one that really didn't perform in the key battle was the man himself, Kim Williamson, because I thought everybody else that was in a battle, New Zealand stood up to the task and Williamson did for a large part of the game. But the key part of the game is when you get 40 or 40, you've got to see your side home. So moments before Williamson was dismissed was the only time that New Zealand were ahead on the win predictor when him and Phillips, particularly Phillips, was going like he was going. And um, and that was that was really squeaky bum time. How wide was your smile when Josh Butler threw the ball to Stokes and he took the wicket? I wasn't I wasn't expecting Stokes to bowl at all. So when he took it, I thought this is a good gamble. I actually thought this is a gamble from from Josh because Ben can get a wicket, which I've said in the last couple of weeks about him opening the bowling. It's a good decision because Ben gets wickets, but he also is very very expensive. And when he dropped one down leg side and got picked up, pulled for four by Williamson, I'm thinking, you know what, this could be the gamble that's put in uh, New Zealand right back into the game or put them in front of the game if Ben goes for 16 off this over. And then when he got the wicket, I thought, you know what, that's it. As many many people might have thought, right, New Zealand stand a chance now, Williamson's gone, the strikers they've got coming in. thought on that surface, scoreboard pressure, England have still got a couple of slow, slow options left, overs left. I thought that was it. I, I thought Kim Williamson had to see his side home, um, or Phillips had to get. He was going to get ninety. He was going to get ninety not out and win the game, um, and neither happened. And and I'm pleased for for Ben and for Joss that you know they the, they got the wicket just at the crucial time because that then set them set Wood and Wilkes's overs up to 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 sort of really ram home the advantage. So as Sam Curran now got a full time job description, can he get business cards printed now? He's the think, two up front, two at the end, but luxury number eight. I think he can. Yes, I think he can. He's a luxury number seven because I think Milan, you know, you're talking about the uh, the man who comes in and fixes everything. <laughs> he comes in at number eight now. That was the beauty about that innings as well. You, if you look at England's innings as well, Sam Curran, we talk about Williamson's innings. I mean, people batting around him, but Joss had Livingston come in and hit a couple of sixes. He got 20 or 14 balls. Sam himself. He got eight, but he but he got he got six. He hit his second ball out the ground for yeah for six. So these little things, though, if you're going to bat, if somebody's going to bat round, you've got to get people to hit the ball out of the park. And unfortunately, New Zealand at the end couldn't do that. But I agree, Sam Curran now has he has business cards now. He has two up the front, two at the death, and number seven to come in with the last few few balls of the game. I think he can. I think he can. He can start giving them out for the next 10 years, hopefully. <laughs> and Chris Wokes? I was pleased for him. Dream? Yeah, I was pleased for him because, again, that, that my my concern is the, the, the sort of the recognised death bowler. Um, but Sam's starting to find his way of holding his nerve and he, he has this knack of, of just doing something special at the right time. And I thought Chris Wokes, again, showed his experience. He bowled it into the pitch. He bowled it into the long side of the, the ground each side. So you can't fault Chris Wokes because there would have been a lot of people asking the question, why was Chris Wokes picked in this game? Because he didn't have a great game against Ireland. <clears throat> he's had his little bits of struggles, but Josh Butler and the management team have gone, no, he's my man. Uh, I'm going to stick with him. 
and I thought his 17 Velva especially was was a game changer. Um, and, and I'm pleased for, for Chris Wokes as well because he's had a tough time in the last 18 months, um, especially in Australia. Um, so hopefully um, that'll just give him the confidence boost to finish the tournament well. Okay, let's just turn our attention quickly to the ODI series that comes at the back uh, of the um, World Cup. Uh, three ODIs. Um, and just a quick one on this, because we need to hear from Chris Silverwood as well. I'm um, looking forward to the England game, but just, just a quick one. Sam Billings, James Vince uh, return, as does Jason Roy, as we mentioned at the top of the programme. Chris Jordan is also back in the in the ODI squad for first time in, in years. This is a revenue generator, these these three games. Um, they don't count towards um, the, the World Cup uh, qualification, not that that matters for either team. Um, so there are some changes there, but... Would you have been tempted to go for a younger squad, um, given that, you know, that I mean, I don't know every game you play for your country is important, but these are as as unimportant as you get in ODIs? Yeah, that, it's an interesting conundrum for the selection panel to go and pick players, especially with it being three or four days straight after the World Cup, players that are, have have been heavily involved in the, in, the World, in the World T20. I don't think it mattered whether you go a young squad or an, an older squad. I think it's the exact what you mentioned. It's a revenue f- fixer. I'd like to see one or two young players put in there, but we fly them all the way around the world for a week's cricket, especially at the start of their career. And if that doesn't go well, what sort of confidence are you giving? What, what message are you giving to that youngster? And we've seen many, many times that we pick a young player a little bit too early and it takes, it takes us a year, to, a year, probably more, to get him back in the, the position to go and make make a, a forge a career for himself. So, no, I, I'm quite happy with the squad that's been picked. I think it's good to see some experience back in there to stake the claim. Do we really need these three one-day internationals? But for the likes of Jason Roy, Sam Billings, James Vince, they'll say yes. I mean, I, I want these three one-day internationals because I've been playing through COVID. I've been playing through you know all the, the tough times. Let me loose on Australian pitches, good batting surfaces, and I'm going to show you that I can still perform in international cricket. So from that point of view, it might not be a bad thing going forward. OK, and very quickly back to the T20. Um, Chris Silverwood, quite naturally, was asked whether there was um, uh, not a sense of uh, revenge or grudge about this game. But, you know, um, he was sacked by England and uh, he's now in charge of Sri Lanka and he's got the chance to knock them out. I think it'll be a great game. Obviously, it'd be great to catch up with uh, a few old friends there as well. But from a personal point of view, I'll be going into that game the same and preparing for that game the same as I would for any other, really. I mean, it's a game that we must win. Uh, so we'll do our due diligence. We'll prep for it. We'll make sure we practice well. And we'll try and meet them head on. But we know that they're a good team and we know it's going to be hard work. So we've got to be prepared for that. He's such a great man, isn't he? Unbelievable man. He is. He's one of the best humans going. He's just a great heart. He always he always gives people, and that's that was the that was the heartache of doing this job, man, is having to criticise Chris Silverwood at the end of his England tenureship because of of the great man he he is. But unfortunately, we're all professionals, and he knows that people were were right to have a go at at some of the stuff that was being being labelled at him. Some of the stuff was not right. Some of the personal stuff was out of order. But boy, he's doing a good job for Sri Lanka. Here's your cup win. And I tell you what, it's not, if anybody thinks England have just won today and they get along through the semi-final, Chris Silverwood and Sri Lanka will be saying, hold on, let's see what happens Saturday afternoon. Mm, yeah, there are some key players uh, 
Kushal Mendes when Indu Hasaranga. They've got some spinners um, at the SCG. It won't be easy for England, but um, yeah, they they certainly will be <laughs> full of confidence heading into that uh, final group game. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about um, Irish cricket and the victory over England, not not their first, and, and what it means for Ireland. And, and, and also, let's just reflect briefly on where it all went wrong for England. I mean, it's easy to say, well, it was the rain, but frankly, Ireland were better in every department. Yeah, in every department. Well, catching maybe is not the drop three catches, <laughs> but apart from that, I thought Ireland outplayed England. I thought England's bowlers, I wouldn't say underestimated them because I think they knew, I think when they got Sterling out, it was like the relief that we've got their their main player out there. They're, they're danger man. I mean, when Sterling hit one straight to sort of extra cover, 
it seemed to it seemed to have a little bit of a change in the in the mentality of the England bowlers. It's like we'll run up and land it somewhere, and the wicket will do the work, or the pierce will do the work, and we'll knock Ireland over for one forty, and we'll go and chase it, not a problem. And then all of a sudden, this is what twenty twenty cricket is all about. If you have one bad over, you know, even three or four bad balls, change in the game is is so dramatic, and it's very difficult to wrestle it back. And I thought England's mentality for the for, for that. Sort of middle section was was really poor. Both sides of the wicket too short. Now the slower balls weren't executed like they have been against the uh, other nations and the bigger nations. It just seemed as though possibly took lightly uh, Ireland a bit lightly and and possibly just took it for granted. Or what sometimes happens in this, they just wait for somebody else to do it. And by the time somebody else does it, you realise you're scratching your head and think nobody's done it and. You're, you're sort of backed into a corner that you're, you're struggling to get out of. And if it, if it hadn't rained, England would have won. I've got no doubt of that whatsoever. But it did rain. And it, was it a good thing for England that it rained? Quite possibly, because it maybe it's just kicked them into, into gear that, you know, for what they've got to do in, in the next two games against the better nations. So from that point of view, it might have done England a favour, but take nothing away from Ireland. Because you always look at what England did wrong. I think you've got to look at Ireland and think, right, they saw a chance. They got the chance. They grabbed the chance. Never really give England a sniff after that. And during the run chase, Harmy, um, it just looked like the repairman brought the wrong tools or he's he missing did. a set of spanners. Yeah, he did. He, he did. He, was, he came to fix the door and he, he ended up having a look at the washing machine. It was just, <laughs> you just didn't understand what was happening. The only thing I could think of from Milan's point of view, Ireland bowled well. Let's, let's put this into context as well. I thought... McCarthy and Little bowled brilliantly. We didn't see England really swing the new ball, and they had it hooping round corners. So whether there was something in that, I talked to John Norman on a following on feed about when England started, it was damp. So front foot landing, you were dragging it down, bowled a lot shorter, didn't get a chance to, to sort of bolt the seam bolt upright. Ireland did it perfectly. But from a Milan point of view, it just, it just sensed as though he didn't expect it to rain. That was Milan's thinking... He was, what was he? He was 35 or 35 balls when he got out. Is is he's, he's possibly thinking, if I get 60 off 60 balls, Moen comes in, you've got Livingston, a bit of current, they strike at 145, 150. We win the game comfortably. But you're banking on it not raining, David, and unfortunately it did. And he did dig England into a little bit of a hole that possibly one more, two more balls, Moen Ali might have got England out of trouble, but at the end of the day, I think that's why a lot of people were questioning about whether is it Milan that misses out for a for an extra bowler, whether he's just he's found himself batting at number eight today because of the innings he played against Ireland, quite possibly. Let's hear from um, Irish captain Andy Balburnie on the future of Irish cricket and what he would like to see, particularly with regard to red ball cricket. My highlight for Ireland, if you ask me when I retire, was that first morning at Lords. I've never experienced a buzz like it. The pre-match test cricket is my favourite format. It's what I grew up watching. It's what I want to play. It's what I want this group of cricketers to play because it's such a thrill. It tests every attribute of your game on and off the pitch. We have tests lined up next year, one at Lords, which will be amazing. But you know, we've played in this Super League and 50 over cricket, which has been great for us. We've had some great results in that. We've had some average results. But for this group to get better, they have to play at this level as often as possible. Um, you want to play all the big nations home and away. Um, that Super League has given it to us, but 
I certainly think there's room for more opportunities, particularly in the, the Red Bull game. But all we can do as, as players is to go out and do what we did tonight as often as possible and then we leave it up to the powers to be. That was Irish captain um, Andy Balburnie. We need to mention Lorcan Tucker as well. Ireland were, what were they, 25 for five against Australia? Mm. And um, if they had gone on to be bowled out for 60 or 70, then England would be in serious, serious danger of not being able to reach the, the semi-finals. But Lorcan Tucker has smashed 71 and he bossed Mitchell Stark. I know it shouldn't be a laughing matter, but it made me laugh out loud. Uh, and he was smashing uh, Mitchell Stark over long off for, for fours and sixes. And that transformed everything, Harmy. That, to, you know, for them to go on and lose by uh, 25 runs as opposed to 85 is, is in all probability, if England beat Sri Lanka, the difference between Australia going out. And so Ireland didn't win that game, but it may well be the innings that means Australia don't reach the semis. Yeah, 100%. And he batted beautifully as well. You, know, you mentioned him one off Mitchell Stark. He hit. Pat Cummins over extra cover as well for four. And I was like, wow, this guy got 71 and the next second best, second biggest score was 14. Um, he just looked as though he's not batting on a different wicket. He was batting in a, you know, a whole different continent than the rest of the Indian, uh, the Irish players. So, you know, against, you know, a fair play to him. Tucker, you, you look at, you get a score in a game, you look at who was bowling, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins. Them three are going to have a huge summer next summer and potentially trying to win the Ashes against England. And uh, and Tucker smacked them all around the park. So, you know, a fair play. But to go on what Andrew Bernie was saying there, and I've been saying this for a number of years, and I, I've even mentioned it to, to sort of powers that be it, that I spoke to from an ECB point of view. We talk about reducing Red Bull cricket in this country. And I say, it's been about five or six years I've been shouting this. But instead of taking teams away, why don't we add teams? Yeah, If you're on about having you know, three leagues where you have you know, teams that are struggling to, to sort of push themselves or not wanting to push first-class cricket, well, why don't we bring Ireland into the fray? Why don't we bring Scotland into play and have them involved in? So instead of having 18 first-class teams, have 20, 21. If you get the Netherlands, and then they can build the first-class structure around English first-class cricket, and then when it comes to their Test matches, which Irish the Irish team have got, then they will still be strong. They can still play first-class cricket in their own countries, but then have the best the best they can possibly get from their you know their smaller pool of players play first-class cricket in England. Then all of a sudden you get three team three divisions of seven. You play six for, six home games, six away games, twelve first-class matches. You reduce the number of games played, but you've also got you know, a triangle of nations around you that that can help, and that could that's in the same as fifty over cricket, twenty twenty blast, as well as first class cricket, and that will help Irish cricket going forward. Because, like I said last week, the week before, on this very show, that a strong Ireland Test nation will will be a benefit for English cricket going forward because. You have to have teams close to you that you could possibly send air teams to, to play against, send under 19s to play against, you know, just over the water as opposed to going five and six hours. Then, then for me, it's uh, it's much better for the region and much better for the area of cricket that we play in. Okay, let's just talk about the other group and the semi finalists. Um, so we've got England, Australia, and New Zealand fighting for two places. It looks far more straightforward in the other group. 
It looks like South Africa and India will qualify. India's last two games are against Bangladesh and Zimbabwe. Difficult to see an upset there. Uh, South Africa could actually afford to lose their fourth game against Pakistan in Sydney on Thursday, as long as they beat the Netherlands in their final game on Sunday. So it looks like those two will qualify from that group. South Africa's pre-tournament odds of nine for one, uh, nine to one, have been cut to four to one or even three to one, depending on which website you go to. Uh, and it's that point, isn't it? If South Africa aren't regarded amongst the favourites before a World Cup, there comes a point, inevitably, <laughs> where they people say, oh, well, maybe this will be South Africa's year. Um, and they, they did play very well against India. That was a very, very impressive uh, performance with bat and ball. I guess the question, again, is about Temba Bavuma. The captain it looks all at sea he looks he's not even playing like Temba Bavuma I mean he's he's playing reverse sweeps and ramps and and doing all sorts of things from from the off from the get-go he scored 76 runs from 101 balls in all T20 internationals this year Mm. it's an average of 11 and a strike rate of 60 odd but but you know you I don't think you can expect a captain to leave himself out Uh, it has to be done by the coach or the selectors, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it, you'd think a selector would tap him on the shoulder and say, we've got two options here. You either leave yourself out, and if he not shakes his head what, and asks the selector, what's the second option? The selector says, well, if you don't leave yourself out, I'm going to leave you out, and I don't really want it to come down to me having to do that. So when I watched him back, I thought, what are you playing at? Yeah, you've got an embarrassment of riches when it comes to strike rate. You've got Quentin de Kock, who you walk in with. And then if he comes out, the next four have got a strike rate of just as big as Quentin de Kock and the likes of Riley Russo and, and, and David, David Miller and, and people Hayden like Markram. that. Markram. And you're going, just back properly. Back like Kim Williamson's done. Back like Josh Butler did today for 25 balls and get 26, 27 and hold the innings together and let everybody smack it around you and then conveniently run yourself out if you can't get the ball off the square when it comes <laughs> to about 10 overs or 11 overs. Just give me a chance. And that's what I'd be saying to him as a coach. Just give me a solid base. Don't get me sort of three down in a power play. You hold it together. Get me out of the power play. These will get the, the strike rate going in a power play and see the game from there. If you have, uh, If it's not working, just have a go. Get out. We've got plenty coming in. But it just seems as though he's he's like a cat in a hot tin roof and he doesn't know whether to stick or twist. That is That sends a message to the dressing room. And that is probably the difference why they're three to one and they're not seven to four favourites because the, the bowling attack that South Africa possess is ridiculous. India have got a fantastic bowling attack. Australia have got a fantastic bowling attack. So have England and so have New Zealand. There's no surprise that they're the... Yeah, the, the teams that are probably going to be in the in the well f- four from five are going to be in the semi-final. New Zealand have got one hanging around. South Africa have got one hanging around. Temba Bavuma, they could Aaron be the Finch. difference between yeah, and they could be the difference between their sides losing a semi-final because they've chewed up six or seven balls more than they should have. Still on the subject of South Africa, did you see that the Mumbai Indian? Devolt Brevis scored 162 off 57 balls in the South African domestic uh, T20 competition, which is going on at the same time. As he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't running many, was he? 13, 13 falls and 13 sixes. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone through a few white cricket balls there. 
truly astonishing. I think it was the fourth highest uh, domestic T20 score of all time, but the highest strike rate, 162 of 57 balls. This is wow. the first time he's actually played senior domestic cricket as well, because he was playing for South Africa under-19s before. Um, he took an yeah. unbelievable catch as well, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he took yes, an yes. unbelievable catch as well. It was like, you put my lottery numbers on for me. It was one of those boundary saves where he's dived backwards at long on. He's dived backwards. He's then falling over the rope, and you think there's got no chance at all. And it's literally inches before he hits the ground. He flicks it back under the air, lands over the rope, <laughs> bounces back, leaps. Up. I mean, we've seen dozens of them, but you know, I'm not going to say that was the best, but it was it was top three or four that I've seen. Yeah, it was a it was a ridiculous catch, and to go with the innings that he had, it was like, well, if you're on the opposition, you're just going well. It's his dear. Move on. We'll play him again next week, and he'll, he'll be, we'll get him for naught. He'll drop three catches. So just the beauty about our wonderful game. Okay, there was a creepy um, footage. There was some creepy footage on social media. Uh, somebody was either let in uh, to Virat Kohli's hotel room in Perth, and uh, then sort of went round and, and shot a video of uh, his personal belongings. It was creepy. The hotel released a, a statement um, mm. apologizing for the break and uh, uh, the break in. Um, all the it, it, there was some talk that it may have been a member of staff um, who got a bit carried away. This is what uh, Indian captain uh, coach Rahul Dravid had to say about the matter. It's obviously disappointing. It's 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 not very comfortable for you know for anyone, uh, let alone Virat. I mean, it is disappointing. But but yeah, we have flagged it with the relevant authorities. Uh, they've taken action. And hopefully, you know, incidences like this will not happen, um, you know, in the future. And, and hopefully people are a lot more careful because, you know, it's the one place where um, you feel you're away from people's prying eyes and, and without the media glare on you and uh, without the photographs that all of these players have to deal with. Um, it's the one place where you hope to feel secure and safe. And that's taken away. That's, that's, that's not it's not really a nice feeling. But uh, but yeah, no, I think he's dealt with it really well. He's fine. He's, he's here at training. He's, he's absolutely perfect. Even as a non-player, Harmi, I fully, fully relate to the fact that you just want that sanctuary. You need to know that that one little part of the world, when you close the door behind you and, and it locks, you just need to know that you can return there and that nobody's going to be prying around. I mean, that's just horrible. Especially Virat. Especially Virat Kohli. That's burglary. That's that's like somebody coming to my house, and 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 people might be listening to this and going, "Are you over overreacting?" I'm not. Not for Virat Kohli. These Indian players, we you do you've got. If you think that I'm overreacting, you've got no understanding of what India is like, what it's like to be in India, what it's like to be an Indian cricketer in India. You know, I've said this many times. You know, I know a lot of the footballers, a lot of Newcastle footballers from bygone days. And I've said some, I've said to someone like Alan Shearer, you could walk down Newcastle with your, with your Newcastle shirt on with Shearer written on the back, and you will get nowhere near, not even a, not even one percent of the attention as what Virat Kohli, Sachin Tendulkar gets walking down the street in India. And that's what that's what these guys get. Yeah, they get paid a lot of money. Yes, they get paid yeah, very, very well. And endorsements that they make some would say compensates for that but not with somebody coming into their hotel room it's like somebody uh -huh. going into a house for what you what you go through as a, an indian player 
have somebody just to violate violate your your own personal space when you check into that room is yours. I'm not overreacting here. This is this is serious, especially against somebody like Virat Kohli. And I hope I hope it doesn't affect him too much, but I'm sure it will. I really I really think it will have a lot of effect on on Virat over the the, the next 24 hours. And what somebody's been around his his personal space. It's, it's shocking, really. Yeah, for all his belongings, his watches, his cars, for all his material things, if you asked him what was most important, he'd say his time and his space, and somebody stole it. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So let's talk about uh, the high-performance review um, before it's consigned <laughs> to the waste paper basket. I'm afraid it, it always um, seemed destined to fail, Harmy, um, or, or sorry, not to be passed by the counties. You know, the the smaller counties were never ever going to vote for it. Twelve out of eighteen needed to to vote um, to implement the changes. You know, the smaller six counts counties were pretty quick on saying that that would be um, you know turkeys um, voting for Christmas. They they just line up to bankrupt themselves. And then once the bigger counties uh, started to express their doubts and concerns. He worked hard. It was a very impressive document. I got to see it in the end. And, you know, it was full of um, good ideas, except they weren't very good ideas. I don't know. I mean, he, he worked hard. He tried hard. He was thinking in in England's best interests. And I mean, England cricket team's best in interests rather than English cricket's best interests. Yeah, I think that's the most important bit. It's He was thinking in English England cricket's best interest and not in English cricket's best interest. The one thing I will say about this, you can say whatever you want about Sir Andrew Strauss. He works hard. He always works hard. He has that ethic about him. This has come from a good heart. This has come from the right intentions. It's maybe he's not being great for English cricket as in a whole and understanding that people have met, a lot of people make a living out of this game. He was looking at it from a, a purely... England cricket team point of view that he believed and the people that we he was that was helping him believed that it was going to benefit the England cricket team. And if it if it got implemented, it would have benefited the England cricket team. I've got no doubt whatsoever that if everything that Andrew Strauss, Sir Andrew Strauss had said needed to happen, and if he got that, if he and he had it that didn't, nobody had to vote for it, it probably would have benefited. It, it would have definitely benefited the England cricket team. But I think what we've got to constantly got to get away from is that, yes, the England cricket team is the most important. It makes the most money going forward. But there are a lot of other factors in how you get English cricket into the England cricket team. Because all them England players have come from the county system. All them England players have come from playing a completely different type of cricket to the Southern Hemisphere um, model, which is bigger breaks in between games, 10 first, 12 first-class matches, we've always been, it's always been sort of more difficult, mentally, physically, for six months to get themselves in a position to go and play for England. That, for me, should never, never really change. It should should be tinkered, but it should never really change. Once you get to England, then it's the, the individual, oh, it's, the, it's the governing body needs to, like, look after the, the players and, and the do with it, central contracts and everything that go with it. But for me, there was this was a high-performance review to look what can make the England cricket team better. And I thought it just missed its vo- vocation, which was to make English cricket better. And I think the two got, polar, they, they got poles apart 
when it came to the the end of when it came to the document. The document was an impressive thing, and I say it again: it came from a good heart. Andrew Strauss was trying, so Andrew Strauss was trying to make English cricket better, England, you know, England cricket better. But unfortunately, possibly because he didn't speak to all the coaches, possibly because he didn't speak to you know former players, umpires, whatever, he just went down the road of blinkered. It's the England cricket team. Then I think that's where possibly this has got gone down the wrong path. 15 out of 17, 14 out of 17 points that he made, I think would have getting through not a problem at all. But the three or four big key points, I don't think they were ever, I don't even, when they say it was dead in the water, I don't even think they got into the water. I think it was still <laughs> in the ship. It was still in the shipyard waiting for a push-off. Warwickshire, obviously one of the most influential voice, voices in the county circuit. Um, and I think when they said that they were happy with 14 championship games, but would consider a reduction in the number of blast games, uh, that was um, one of several nails into uh, that coffin. Let's talk Scotland um, just briefly. We've already heard from Andy, Andy Balburnie about his desire to play more red ball cricket. And uh, the, the Netherlands as well, and Scotland, both or could and want to be involved. Let's hear from the Netherlands first, actually. Paul van Meekeren says there's no reason why teams touring England can't pop into the Netherlands as well. We've got guys in the change room, you know, who pay to go to their own trainings and only get paid when we go on tour and play games in Holland. So, you know, if we if we could get paid, it might not be a different game, but that's that's the level of difference against guys who can hit a thousand balls every week and guys who go study, work, you know, all those kind of things. So, I think this year, hopefully, we showed how how good the wickets are in Holland. And, and we played some competitive games. So there's no reason why test teams can't come to Holland as their prep instead of playing the counties. And hopefully they've identified, I think, as a non-cricketed nation, a lot of these big players can walk the street without being recognised. So they have a bit more freedom playing in Holland. And, and we, we got the facilities. Um, you know, we, we can be as competitive as playing the warm-up games against other counties. So why not come to Holland for 10 days before they travel on to England? Great idea! I think it's a fantastic idea. If I was if I was going to uh, on a, on a tour of England and uh, either side before or afterwards, um, pop over to uh, to Amstelveen to play a couple of games there. I think that would be absolutely fabulous. Amstelveen, then Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Can you imagine? Um, the Netherlands coach, standing coach, anyway, Ryan Cook had a similar thought. All the teams that came through to us were very complimentary of the facilities, um, obviously of the wickets that played there and the competition that they got while they were playing out there. So I think it would be a great opportunity for um, the Netherlands to play a few more games when the Super League is scrapped against the Test Nations. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that a few uh, guys take us up on that. If you think about UAE cricket and what Dubai and Abu Dhabi have, has done for that in terms of the facilities that they have, it's definitely made a difference to their cricket and, and hopefully it can do the same for the Netherlands as well. And I assume that you agree with uh, Scotland's or you support Scotland's uh, desire to be included in the T20 Blast. I mean, they've already got Mark Watt, Brad Wheel, Michael Jones, Josh Davey already playing county cricket. I mean, you know, there's there's no question about them sort of not contributing to the standard. I mean, they, they wouldn't be lowering the standard if they were included, would they? No, I don't think they would. I think the all three nations around the British Isles would, I think, would help not only cricket in in their own countries, but I think it would help cricket in this region. And you know, I like what Paul, Paul and Ryan have said, that the Netherlands have got something to give. 
Andrew Balburney said, Ireland have got something to give. And there's no doubt Scotland have definitely got something to give when it comes to you know, playing probably at our domestic level. And then I, I've said it two or three times on the, on, the, on the collective that instead of playing Leicester's second team or Northampton's second team when a touring tie comes over here, you can go and play a four-day test match against Ireland in Dublin. Why not? You know, they go and play three one-day nationals against, you know, against Holland and Amstelveen. Yeah, these are then there's no dead rubbers, then there's no 14 aside games, then there's no you know cricket that can be can be criticized. You know, proper cricket matches, proper competitive, and then I think everybody wins then. I really do. And and I think it would develop the area as a region as a whole, as you mentioned, the UAE. But it, again, you, you go into the subcontinent, you go India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, uh, Sri Lanka, you know, four countries very, very close to each other. You know, there's teams pop in, pop out. And you can play around. I think we're never going to get the standard, not in my lifetime, the standard as high as what there is in, in that sort of region. But I think if we've got to start somewhere, and for me, I think you could, you, if the ICC were to give these emerging nations a little bit more cash to develop their first-class cricket and ECB were to help them play at a, at a, at a standard, which would be our domestic level, I think over time, if it's given time, it would have a chance to succeed. It's my favourite part of the show where I, I chuck all the remaining items at you and allow you to, <laughs> to, to pick up the ones you want to comment on. Um, excellent news that the ECB have announced uh, an extra £3.5 million of funding towards women's domestic cricket. I think it needs to be more than that. It sounds like a lot of money, but in the big mm. scheme of things, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's all that uh, significant, but £3.5 million is better than, than no million. BCCI have announced that their national women's team will earn the same match fees as the men. That's match fees, not uh, contracts. And your old mate Shiv Chandrapal's son, Tagnarine Chandrapal, has earned his uh, maiden West Indies call-up. Only one of three father-son combinations to have played first-class cricket together. Tagnarine Chandrapal will make his test debut for the West Indies. Shiv will be delighted. Shiv will be delighted, yeah. And it's great to see. Uh, the young man, he played with his dad, but she played with everybody in that in the Caribbean. Just <laughs> keep trying to tell my son, because she was at my son's christening, and um, along with Sean Pollock, we were playing at Durham at the time, and whenever he, he hears the name Chandapal, his daddy was at my christening. I said Shiv played with everybody. I said Shiv was about 14 when he made his West Indies debut and he was 55 when he finished. Um, but for him to play with his son is fantastic. It's great to see the young man getting recognition from the West Indies and playing for women's cricket. 3.5 million, yes. It doesn't sound a lot. Added to it's on top of what the ECB are putting in already. So it is something substantial. So for me, the more... I think the more exposure, I don't think it's so much money. Money is great, but I think the more exposure the women's game gets now, I think the better it's become because I think no doubt, the, for me, the only success the hundreds had is the women's game. Um, but that's me being cynical towards the hundred and the ECB again. Um, and the BCCI, yeah, they're recognising that the women's game is just as, as, as important as the men's over there as well. So from that, it's been an interesting few days in this world T20 and I can't wait for next week. Well, and we are going with New Zealand, England, India and South Africa semi-finalists, are we? Uh, we are. And I, I just hope that it's England against South Africa because I'd rather play India in the final than play them in the semi-final at either Adelaide or at 
Sydney, I'd rather play them on a belter at the MCG. That's me hoping that England get through. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to look ahead to the T20 World Cup semi-finals. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.